Sport, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Uh, boy, oh boy, we're back, everybody. Back in the yeah. cockpit with me, we have, as always, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? It turns out there is a uh, there is a, a finite amount of racing action that happens every year, and because we haven't had any, it all got condensed into the, the, the remaining races. So we've just had like blue balling for five months, and it all just exploded all over the track. Um, uh, I hope to get it cleaned up before uh, this uh, weekend for round two. Uh, we also have uh, joining us here Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, not as well as I was before Danny had the race explode its load all over uh, the Austrian Grand Prix, but still hanging in there. Uh, Gruscott, by the way, is a, uh, a traditional Bavarian Southern German uh, area greeting. Uh, and I think uh, I think it literally means like God bless you or something. Um, someone has blessed this race with Every yeah. conceivable thing that could have happened uh, did, it seems. Um, but before we get into that, we just wanted to mention that uh, Shift F1 um, is supported entirely by our audience at uh, patreon.com slash Shift F1, where every month we release uh, bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons, covering racing documentaries and films, uh, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So... Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that weird stuff, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, what's been going on over in Patreon land this month, Danny? Uh, once we're done with all this Austrian madness, we will uh, get back to proceedings over there. Um, it's been fun on the past five months over there while we're sort of doing a bunch of weird and wacky stuff in between the during the, the long season break. Um, so we'll have a Patreon-exclusive podcast up at the end of this month. We don't know exactly what it is yet. We're going to figure that out. Uh, but shout-out to all the people who came over from Cloth Map. I know you've uh, yeah. put that on hold as you go on to new adventures. Um, and we had a bunch of people send us really kind messages saying that they were um, bringing their patronage to Shift F1. And as a result, we're now almost over 900 um, patrons, wow. which is rad. So if you get to 1,000, we did promise we'd, uh, we'd do a race in real life um <laughs> probably uh, a bit more challenging now than when you originally <laughs> planned it but uh promise is a promise so if we hit over a thousand um we'll do our we'll do our very best yes indeed uh if you are new to this podcast welcome if you are new to formula one itself uh boy you picked a great time to hop in um but uh if if you have no prior f1 knowledge uh we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode which was recorded before all the COVID stuff, um, but does give the load on, on how the entire sport works and who everybody is and all that good uh, information. So if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, that is episode 96 for the 2020 season. Today, however, we will be discussing the Austrian Grand Prix, the first of two races at this track. Um, golly, uh, should we just dump right into here, you guys? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Uh, yeah, there is. We, we knew we knew it was going to be weird with uh, with all the COVID weirdness, um, and it. I guess I wasn't really shocked by anything. I think it was just kind of fun seeing um, how different Formula One was. Toto, uh, team principal for Mercedes, that is, has a uh, a giant face shield. Don't know what's oh, up yeah. with that, but apparently he's, well, he's, he's, he looks he's like a, the only he's guy welding. that does that. 
right yeah, in between um yeah it was weird how like there were parts of the race that were very strange namely anything that happened before and after the checkered flag or you know before the race started or afterwards but but the race itself i literally did not notice the stands were empty the whole time I, oh, like yeah the, the, the sport either. itself was was basically the same there was like no functional difference everyone wears helmets <laughs> the cars go around the, in circles uh it was it was awesome yeah, it, I, I found it strange that they didn't allow media in the pit lane, um, with the exception of some camera people. But like Ted Kravitz, the pit reporter for Sky, was sitting in the grandstands across from the pit lane and had uh, a monocular, like a like a spyglass, oh, really? peering into wow. the pit lane. Yeah, to uh, to 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 call back to uh, the commentators. Yeah, the way um, I heard the bubbles worked was that because Will Buxton was reporting from the. Uh, uh, pit lane uh, or from from within uh the the paddock i guess for prior to the race as well and it sounds like the media is in one bubble and then the tv people are in a separate bubble that is connected to the racer bubble and then all the teams are in their own bubble so they're not supposed to go near each other either but they can all be in the paddock at least um, right for and that. uh so that's why he wasn't able to go to the press conferences so it was because the media right, were at sure. that one yeah so yeah. it was they were all totally separated that way um, I, I do know that I think it was Netflix, like some of the camera people that like stay with a certain team have to wear the team uh, clothes so that everyone knows what bubble they're supposed to be in. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Driver Survive Season 3 coming soon. Um, few other new things, I guess, for the first race of the season. We get a new theme. A uh, little oh, I didn't even notice. intro there. Yeah, with um, sort of Formula 1 through the ages. Got a good... Uh, they they show Joss Verstappen exploding in a ball of fire as Max comes on screen, which I thought was funny. Wow. Um, I mean, doesn't he do that and, every time uh, he criticizes somebody? <laughs> Explodes in explode a ball of onto fire. the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got some new liveries. Uh, I think the the black Mercedes looks really cool. Mm. Um, I like the Haas better than last year, and I'm not a fan of the Williams. I just. Oh really doesn't no you, you miss rocket on track i do it's a little more, a little more mm, colorful okay that i can't follow you down i think that rocket livery looked like crap um <laughs> it, it, it just the way it was sort of airbrushed that blue fade onto the yeah. white fuselage i thought it looked i thought it looked crummy it never really went but this definitely does have a they're saying oh it's a throwback it's sort of a classic williams livery and i'm like classic yes in the sense that williams does have sort of a your name here aesthetic to their cars many seasons uh and that definitely sort of felt pronounced with this livery as well where it's like well we don't have a good title title sponsor uh so here's a white car with williams written on the back yeah williams's biggest problem will forever be that nothing is going to beat that martini livery yes yeah. true it was the best it, like no other team i think that's the most beautiful f1 car livery ever maybe but uh, i mean certainly for the Williams. the alpha tauris or tories you know what? i'm gonna pronounce it both ways we're just gonna roll <laughs> with that who cares yeah. uh the the alpha tories i think are almost trying to hearken to that uh to oh. that livery a, a little bit just again sort of uh, a little bit of a white pinstripey vibe but i find that to be a livery also that has minimal character out there on the yeah. track you need a primary color people i'm sorry <laughs> Uh, speaking of other weird things we saw, uh, we got 
sort of a taste of the new F1 graphics package, which we've talked about a few times. Um, mm. We did see the AWS car performance scores in Free Practice 2. Um, I think even the commentators were a little confused. David Croft seemed to think that the scores are for the car and not the driver. So right. I, why would you have? Why would you show different drivers then? It, it, yeah, still, still, jury's still out. I guess on that one, I don't particularly feel it the necessary. What I did like though, the G meter, I think is cool. Mm. Um, the rear view mirror, both of those which are shown on the the Halo head up display, little right. like holographic oh, thing. The Halo HUD, cool. greatest thing yeah. to happen to F one graphics in my lifetime. <laughs> We've, we, I feel cool. like we've gotten used to it, and also they've like whatever they've done to tone it down or just make it feel. Now it feels more right. It kind of works. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I liked about the rearview mirror was that the the commentators had to keep saying that the drivers can't see this. <laughs> we, no, Did we they have the a, uh, the nifty sort of throttle and brake uh, pressure meter as well last year? Mm-hmm. I feel like they sort of changed the layout on it, and it seemed a little more pronounced to me, like as to when people were on power, when people were on brakes. Yeah, they may I feel have. like the G's were also on it at some. Maybe not on that, but the G, the G's. I've seen the G's somewhere before, but but maybe. But this package was definitely different. Yeah, uh, one thing that like, really bugs me though is the is the, the the telemetry. Like all that data is about a second ahead of the video. Oh, of course, yeah. So you see them break before you hear it. It's strange. Yeah. I don't know why you can't just delay that data by like 0.7 seconds, and it'd be it'd be cool. Um. Uh, okay, let me let me just speed through practice here a little. A few things in practice port, uh, port foretold, portended um, <laughs> things in the race. Uh, I'll let you decide which. Uh, Mercedes was running DAS, the dual axis steering system, which we yeah. uh, hadn't seen, of course, since since uh, February testing. And um, it looked even more extreme. Photos was pulling on it like a friggin' Tie Fighter. Yeah, it, it moved back and forth much more than I thought it, it would. Um, and they actually had uh, a situation, um, which we'll get to in the race, where that actually made sense to use. Uh, don't know if they did. Like, it's still sort of opaque whether they use it and how much it gives an advantage. Um, but as we said, Red Bull did lodge a complaint against Mercedes um, saying that it was uh, illegal. FIA came back almost immediately and said, nope, it's good. No more protests about this, which... You know, I think is uh, uh, um, the, the commentators were giving Christian Horner, the team principal for Red Bull, a hard time. Like, oh, now you can develop your own DAS. Is that what you're doing? And he was, of course, uh, evasive. Yeah, because, um, uh, you know, we talked about this weeks ago. Rob gave a great explanation of the sort of the the pageantry involved in this process is that it's as much saying that's illegal as it is asking, is that illegal? Because then at least... Um, they'll be able to get an answer for it. And I also heard around the time, uh, they pulled the trigger pretty early. I think it was after practice one, they launched the complaint, which people uh-huh. were saying was was basically the the right way to go about doing it because they could have launched a complaint much later in the weekend. And then that might have caused Mercedes a lot more hassle. Um, but sort of the way that they approached it, I guess, and getting it done was sort of like the sporting way, just so everyone kind of knew where okay, they yeah. stood, I guess. Because I don't think they were allowed to prior to mercedes actually hitting the track they they Correct. they weren't allowed to do it back at yeah preseason yeah uh other things from practice uh the haas i think grosjean had a, a bunch of problems uh perez engine was smoking a couple of times um latifi crashed his team did scramble to repair uh the front wing mm-hmm. damage for qualifying 
Um, Botas had a hydraulic fit issue fixed just before qualifying. Um, but uh, the, the, the Sparks continued in qualifying. The unupgraded Ferrari, as we uh, have mentioned, uh, I think last episode, many other teams have brought upgrades to this race. Ferrari have not. They're basically running the same car that they did in testing in February. Um, so that car ended up being pretty far off. They qualified in, uh, let's see, during the second qualifying session, Leclerc got 10th and Vettel 11th which is the first time Vettel has failed to get to Q3 uh, on, on while like running at full, full operation in a Ferrari car. And even Leclerc asked his engineer once he came across the line, are we safe? The engineer says, yes, you're P10. And Leclerc says, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Verstappen, the only driver, through to Q3 on medium tires, which, if you recall the rules, means that he must start the race on those medium tires. So Red Bull going for an alternate strategy there. Um, and then Q3, final runs, Botas goes off into the gravel uh, and causes red uh, yellow flags to come out, which means slow down. Hamilton, his teammate, does not and incurs a three-place grid penalty. So Hamilton mm. qualified in second, but will start from fifth on the grid. Um, yeah, it was interesting the watching grid. the... Go for it, Danny. The t- sorry, yeah, uh, Danny Ricardo. Um, Botas went off and went so far off that Ricardo thought that he had just skimmed the edge and stayed on track and was complaining to his engineer saying, yeah, but he stayed <laughs> on the track, which is funny because at the same time, Botas' engineer was saying, Ricardo mightn't have seen you stay on the grass. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is why he ended up... Which is why his yellow flag ended up being so long because he, he kind of stayed on the grass and then accidentally spun on the grass. So the yellow right. flag was out for way longer than it needed to. And then he made some jokes about the fact that his it cuts better than his lawnmower at home. Um, <laughs> all the while, the rest of the field had their final lap totally shattered. So pretty good right. day in the office for Botas. Even with the spin. Yeah, and it turned out to be a pretty good mix of um, uh, the grid here. Botas uh, yeah. ended up setting his pole lap uh, the previous lap, so uh, he did not um, really lose anything by going off. Uh, he gets pole position. Max Verstappen starting second, and with um, Hamilton's demotion, Lando Norris starts wow. third uh, alongside Alexander Albon. Then we have Lewis Hamilton fifth, followed by Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Lance Stroll, and Daniel Ricciardo rounding out the top ten. Behind them, we have Sebastian Vettel. Pierre Gasly, Danny Cafiet, Esteban Ocon, Roman Grosjean in 15th, uh, Kevin Magnussen, George Russell, Antonio Giovinazzi, Kimi Raikkonen, and Nicholas Latifi starting last. Boy, I haven't done that in a long time, guys. Right? Uh, you'll have to excuse <laughs> us if, if we're coming in a little hot in this episode. Uh, it's been a while. I think it's been 200 and something days since we've had a Grand wow. Prix. Uh, so and like maybe same 30 amount of time podcasts. for us. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, we've uh, we've kept busy despite it. Yes, indeed. Uh, um, okay, anything else before we start the race? No, I think a lot of eyes on the uh, racing point, the Pink Panthers, as they've been uh, known now, uh, to to see how good that Mercedes is going to do in race conditions. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, very interested in seeing how Lando's going to do in third, considering the McLaren. Maybe he doesn't have the race pace either, but is uh, kind of in the mix. So, yeah, loads to look at. I'll just say it was um, 
it was nice seeing Russell get almost make it yes. out of Q three uh, Q one. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I think I think Williams have once again ended up in a position where who is re- it's it's sort of that Alonzo uh, Stoffel thing, right? Who is showing the true pace of the car versus who is driving beyond the car, right? Like last year, Kubica was beat like a drum uh, by Russell, and you could say, <laughs> okay, well. It doesn't matter. It's moot because the car's not competitive anyway. Um, but like Russell's consistently getting several tenths uh, out of the car that that Kubica was not. Um, the difference here at the start of the season in qualifying was not as drastic between him and uh, him and Latifi. But I think it's a again, it's a it's a big open question as to. Um, is the is is Russell that good that he nearly got that thing into Q two, um, or did the car make gains? I, obviously, if you're Williams, you're hoping it's the latter, uh, because otherwise, Russell to me just gives off that like very poised, cool, professional vibe that like if I'm looking for an easy, safe driver upgrade, that's probably a that's a number I'm going to call. Um, if he's pushing a Williams uh, into the middle of the pack when it really doesn't belong there, uh, you know, it's it kind of feels like this is your chance to get a uh, Jules Bianchi-like figure uh, mm, who can yeah. sort of spark your team and uh, is ready to take that leap having proven themselves on bad hardware. Yeah, um, all that remains to be seen. Uh, should you are do you, you want to take us through the start, Danny? Sure, it's been a while since I've done Question. this as well. How many times did everyone watch this race? I watched it twice. Wow. Did you really? I watched yes. this. I watched it live and then watched the extended highlights. I yeah. watched. Uh, I watched it live. I watched the last bit again in full, uh, and then the highlights as well. It was so it's packed. Amazing. I was just like, I'm gonna watch it with all the F1 TV shit. Uh, just to try to figure out what all is happening, um, but also I was, it was just I was, much fun. I was watching it, and then my my uh, daughter woke up, and I like left her there for like twenty minutes, and I was like, okay, I gotta get her now. So we were like changing nappies and like having breakfast, and the whole thing was just like the phone was with me the whole way for the last last like thirty laps, um, and then thankfully her mom took her for the last like ten laps, so it was a uh, it was good. But shall we talk about the first lap? Yes. Okay, lights out, and away they go. Um, all eyes on the different pairings we have here. Um, and right away from the start, uh, Botas basically gets um, a bit of distance. And we're then looking at the battle between second and third, which is Verstappen and Norris. And behind them, the battle between fourth and fifth, which is uh, Albon and Hamilton. Uh, going into the first turn... Um, a bit of uh, argy-bargy between Norris and Verstappen. Norris takes the first turn slightly wide and ends up in front of him going into that first straight, um, or I guess the second straight. Uh, as they approach that turn on turn three, uh, at the end of the straight, they uh, Verstappen has basically gotten the place back at that stage. Um, Hamilton and uh, Albon almost had the exact same thing happen. Hamilton went slightly wide on turn one, exiting uh, as Albon had the, the racing line. Um, but by the time they got down to that turn, uh, they were uh, back in, I guess, the formation they were in once when they had started the race. Um, 
the only overtake that happened in this little section or little little bit of argy-bargy that went on was between Albon and Hamilton and it was on turn four. It was exiting there. Albon was in a good spot. Uh, they both turned it. Albon had the racing line. Hamilton was on the outside. Albon stayed firm. He actually made contact with Hamilton, um, which made Hamilton drop back a couple of seconds uh, or a couple of feet, I guess, In sort of ended up getting gobbled up a little bit by the cars behind him. Um, and Albon had gotten fourth place, uh, which at the time didn't seem like all that much. But obviously, we're gonna we're gonna get to that turn a couple of more times with those two. Uh, Paris had a bit of smoke. He had smoke all pr- weekend in practice. They reckon it's a problem just with it's it's not much. It's just an extra bit of oil getting burned. Um, and uh, but all eyes were on him again. And uh, by the time we're around for the start of lap two and it is a pretty short lap here in austria uh botas was away he was ahead of the pack by by a decent chunk and the fights we were looking at were uh, a little bit fur- further back and uh, no contact basically for anyone though no um, except for albon and hamilton having that little tap and a couple of little tired love rubs here and there there wasn't anyone uh losing carbon fiber yeah um, might be a clean one race thing I'll- one thing I want to call out here is uh, Giovinazzi had a really strong start uh, at you know on this first lap he picked up four four places uh, and a lot of that I think stems from Grosjean having a really awful start um, he got off he, he got badly off the line uh, Magnuson uh, basically cut him didn't didn't cut him off but he stuck him out on the outside way on the outside through turn one uh, and you had a classic Grosjean like ah bloody hell uh as he wa- like as he has to sort of check himself and that threw the door pretty wide open uh you know for um Russell and uh God, I think Giovinazzi? I think yeah and Giovanni I think may have Kenny already did too. been gone yeah Kimi yeah. Rockin just followed him straight through. Uh, but yeah, so when he got it to two, um, Grosjean couldn't take two very well. At the time, I thought he overcooked it. Uh, but obviously, like it appears like there might be some brake issues with the with the Haas. Uh, but either way, like by turn two, um, Grosjean was just kind of in free fall. Uh, down down the order, and it was just like Giovinazzi, uh, Raikkonen, uh, everyone just sailing past him. Yeah, you could you could also argue that maybe the the that team had <laughs> qualified under performance. Um, you know, they they were sort of shuffled into the wrong spot, maybe given the power of the car. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think going into this race, into this season. Certain teams were looking strong. Certain ones were not. This what this is Max Verstappen's season to lose, um, or if not that, then he is the biggest contender challenger to uh, the Mercedeses, mm. uh, and maybe even to Hamilton himself. So uh, it is with great displeasure, I think, on the part of every Verstappen fan in the world. When on lap eleven, we get a shot of Verstappen's car driving very slowly on the side of a track. Uh, he retires from second with an electrical issue. Uh, well, and then yeah, maybe a good thing go ahead. they didn't have a crowds full full of orange wearing Dutch people <laughs> maybe, this time yeah. around. He would have heard the moans around the world. A polite riot. Uh, I, I think the the thing that's so disappointing about it is Max had set that killer time on the medium in Q2 and was the only person in the uh, top 10 
to start on that medium tire. And the word on the softs that everyone else was stuck on was they would degrade really quickly. And so it really looked like Max was set up to just gobble everyone up, uh, certainly, mm. if not on the track, then when they had to punch out for the for early pit stops because the tire was gone. Uh, so I think the big what if here is if Max's car had stayed together, like, could he have just walked away with that thing? It's it, like I was yeah. looking at the times. Uh, he was setting competitive times uh, with the guys on the softs um, pretty consistently throughout there when the softs were still in their good zone. And so we hadn't even really begun to see Max fight uh, before his car let him down. Uh, but it seems like there's there's a case to be made that he had a dominant strategy uh, that just wasn't allowed to play out. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if it's a combination of the brutal curbs at this track um, and the, the the first race cobwebs, but there's a string of issues for folks. Um, we got Verstappen, Ricardo goes out um, a little later, lap uh, 16 or 17 or so. Uh, Stroll has an engine problem on lap 16. Yeah. Um, and then those Haas brake issues rear their ugly heads again. Grosjean goes off in lap 21. So, uh, I mean, sort of a feeling that all is right in the world. But um, Grosjean radios <laughs> and says, I don't, I don't know, man, what's happening. It's not the same car as on Friday, uh, mm. which is not what you want to hear. Uh, Magnuson spins off lap 26. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird one. He just goes kind of straight on and then flips around. Uh, Br- Brundle, I think, was saying that it looked like he had no front brakes. Yeah. Um, and he was later, Ocon lap- trying to th- throw it down the inside on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, later, Grosjean was <laughs> issued Ocon a black and white flag. Destroyed himself completely. He just ethered himself off the. Track. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> just like, like fuck this. Just the, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> it's like an and one mixtape. <laughs> um, Grosjean was issued a black and white flag for track limits, uh, which is a I believe it's yeah. your black and white is your final warning, um, which would be consistent one. with brake issues. Yeah, it's one you don't want to get usually. It means that you're jumping over curves and stuff like that. It's the Canada one you always get whenever people keep popping that final chicane. Right. Uh, But then uh, around lap 51, Grosjean goes off again and retires in his post-race interview. Mm -hmm. He says the car was very tricky to drive, although his team principal, Gunther Steiner, pointed out that they, um, or I guess explained, uh, they, meaning the brakes, uh, just wore out uh, due to overheating. So we need to find out why we had all this overheating today. We were pretty sure that we could survive. Brakes are always an issue here, but we didn't expect it to be this big of an issue uh, that we could not finish the race. Um, safety car comes out for Magnuson spinning off. Hmm. Um, Mercedes double stacks it. So they actually pit one car right behind the other uh, instead of having to wait a lap. Um, and I always love this when this happens, especially when teams really pull it off and Mercedes nails it here. Um, Norris gets a bad stop, uh, causing... Yeah. He slows down a little bit, and then that causes Perez to kind of come out right at the same time, and they almost collide. They almost did, but it wasn't... It was... Yeah, Lando had a... It was his rear left, I think. They had a slight delay on. Uh, Perez, it's just, Perez is just an aggressive driver. He just has really wide shoulders he never you know he'll he'll nudge it away if he can help it so in that situation he's always going to throw his car out there but um worth noting that he didn't actually enter the lane he did leave him space so what looked like an unsafe release ended up not being an unsafe release because he was smart about it um unfortunately the thing he was not smart about was how fast he was driving right yeah oh yeah i forgot um, about that 
<clears throat> uh, worth noting, I think that only Perez, um, after all these pit stops that happen under the safety car, uh, is on medium tires. Everybody else is on hards. Uh, uh, we have a restart on lap. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, there's a case to be made that the safety car saves Bottas's lead at this point in the race, right? Like, do you think that Hamilton was in the process of gathering him up before Magnussen uh, ascended off the track? Yeah, totally. I think he was. I think he was under three seconds by the time I have lap twenty-five. He's four seconds behind them, and that was that was after Verstappen sort of. Verstappen was clearly on a different strategy. Like he wasn't trying to catch Valtteri on softs, uh, which is why he was ended up being so far back. Um, but if you yeah, if you take the sum total of the distance between Hamilton and Botas <laughs> by the time he got second and how fast he was catching him, yeah, I think he was he was in he was in a hammer time mode. It's it's a lot easier for teams to for drivers to try and have a go earlier in the race than it is at the end. By the end, everyone's feeling a lot more tense about wasting points and all that sort of stuff. Undercuts are possible when it comes to pit strategy. I think you're totally right. I think the safety car basically made that decision for them in terms of pit stops and made Hamilton's uh, decision to try and make the overtake happen a lot more difficult to justify, I think. Yeah, there's a there's a complication that comes up in a couple of laps um, that may that may have been there. Uh, I guess we'll never really know. Um, it may have been there before the safety car. Like, I'll I'll just wait until we get there. But um, mm. on the restart for lap 31, Signs is going after Leclerc for sixth place at turn three, but loses momentum, which opens up the door for Vettel, who is behind Signs, <laughs> who true to form. Dives inside, uh, and then wow. when Signs inevitably, I'm editorializing here, but when Sign inevitably makes the turn, uh, <clears throat> inevitably he, he he clips Vettel because he's there, and Vettel spins around. Can I uh, can I propose something to the Shift F1 Council? Yes. I have a new um, term that I want to add to our lexicon. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, over the past couple of months, certainly, definitely last year. We've all sort of come to terms with the idea that the Sebastian Vettel who was driving at Red Bull and perhaps for the early seasons of Ferrari was a lot better at making decisions. And perhaps the version that we've enjoyed for the past two seasons has not. So I propose that we refer to the old Vettel as Vettel and the new Vettel as New Vettel. But N but NU hyphen. NU, of course. Yes. Like Link he is the Lincoln Park of of f1 right now he is um because this was just like a dude like optimism confidence i don't know brundle pointed something out that i didn't see it at first when i watched it again it's a hundred percent true uh vettel realizes after he's fully committed <laughs> that he's fucked up and does no. lock up his tire and yeah. is already starting to slide into a skid before he gets yeah. uh, whacked. And so, like, was he even going to stay pointed in the right direction without that contact? I'm not sure. I think he might have gotten away with, like, a bad lockup. But, yeah, the move was never going to work. Like, even if he'd, even if he'd stayed committed to it, uh, he was already screwed. Um, and actually, I think he would have had a better chance of a better outcome if he just committed to it uh, and just tried to like white knuckle it through there. Would he look like an asshole if it went bad? Yeah, absolutely. But he looked like an asshole anyway. Yeah, there's also like a decent chance that if he had stayed out of the mix on that one, 
the the if you can get that inside line getting into turn four, if he catches up with the two of them and they've sort of rustled each other's feathers a bit, then maybe maybe he at least gets one. You know what I mean? But it's just oh, it's just you could say it, it reminded me of like early Verstappen thing, you know, overtaking opportunities where he just kind of goes for it, like it, but realizes it's a bad decision, like you said, just too late, but also too early. I think here's the difference: is that that car, judging from some onboards, um, and I'll, I'll link one in the in the show notes that you can they can watch at the uh, it's Vettel at the start of the race. That car looks really hard to drive. It yeah. is in this onboard. It's just twitching all over the place. Um, I mean, Vettel is you know arguably one of the draft best drivers out there, um, but I don't think he's exactly working with top machinery that however is such a big move that it probably uh cancels out you know uh, other marginal issues with the car but um yeah he's he's not he's not at 100 percent here he actually said after the race well to be honest i'm happy that i only spun once hmm. um bad place to spin as well because you're just stuck there like on the inside of an apex of a corner you just you have to wait till everyone passes Okay, so a yeah. minute later, we saw something that like was maybe the thing that Vettel should have done, right? Which is that if you can keep it close through three, uh, there's the DRS zone between three and four that uh, if you have a little pep in your engine can make it pretty easy to come out of three, put the power down, and uh, just gather someone up uh, before you reach four. The question is, does Vettel's engine have that? capability right like uh mm. might as well bring this up right now uh Bonato was saying that in qualifying they were losing seven tenths down the straights uh Oof. and like their their big bet Bad. this year was to improve their arrow their arrow also yeah. isn't great uh but also their power is way down and so it it seems like the thing that like Vettel should have done was be patient right like if you if you're close in three you've got a very good chance at executing this at four the, the only but, problem was that the window hadn't opened yet because it was only two laps after the car come in, the safety car yeah. come in, or one lap. Right, right. So you do have to you do have to ride it out. But yeah, um, th- does the Ferrari have enough perk to, to do that? It looks like it, mm. it might not, at which point maybe that is why you start taking crazy risks. Right. Well, questions about everyone's cars abound in this race because uh, Mercedes is very concerned about theirs uh, on lap 35 um, Hamilton is told that they're going to turn down both cars um, meaning uh, lessen the um, I guess power uh, that the engine is putting out uh, just for safety so they don't explode um, but Hamilton because he's so close to Botas says uh, I want to use my engine when I can I've still got engine life like he's he's uh, you know presenting his case for please let me overtake Valtteri um, but uh, they hold firm on that. Uh, lap 43, Botas is told about a potential sensor issue. He and Hamilton are told it's, quote, critical to stay off of the curbs. And they even um, uh, specify that this includes the red and white curbs, not just the giant <laughs> yellow sausage ones. Um, after the race, I think it was uh, um, uh, uh, found out that this is, they were concerned that vibrations would damage the gearbox, um, which is a, a problem that I think Rob, you pulled this one that they had seen previously. Yeah, the explanation I don't I don't totally follow. It sounds like either uh, you have sensors interfering with each other, 
or that you create some sort of electronic fault where like maybe you have charge uh, building up server or just signal bleed. I don't know. Uh, but the the indication was they, they were saying that you they were starting to build up uh, like sensor noise in the car as they were driving it, uh, and as we saw, like these cars have fail states that even if mechanically the car is sound, if a sensor trips the wrong way, there's nothing you can do. Like it's that is also going to be the end of the day. Uh, so even like even if they weren't really harming the car they were just uh, jostling sensors around in a modern f1 car if the sensor is dead or if the sensor is reporting a failure it doesn't matter what the reality is the car's the car's day is done um i love it i love the i love the razor curbs let's have nothing yeah, but razor totally. curbs forever because this this is the solution like how many years did we see this sort of Calvin Ball interpretation of curbs and track limits, and every year it was like this: um, the substitute teacher who isn't really sure, like when to put their foot down. Like, okay, like yeah. you gotta respect track limits, kids. <laughs> and outside of qualifying, that would go out the window, uh, and no one gave a shit. Now they care, and it's not because you have to be like you know headmastering them. It's because, like, hey, you can do that as a move once, twice, three, four times. Sure. But if that becomes part of your racing line, you're going to break your car. And I think that's kind of brilliant. I think razor curbs for every circuit. That's that's my thing. Wide runoffs, <laughs> ra razor curbs. Uh, well, this track is eating even more cars because on lap 51, Russell goes out with a fuel pressure issue which is i hate uh, the razor curbs they're <laughs> evil what was he up to he was in yeah 12th halfway through the race he was doing really well yeah something like that yeah um which causes a safety car to come out uh during this albon pits for soft tires seeding third place to perez um and then on the restart, lap 55, Albon has a run on Perez and gets ahead of him just as Kimi Raikkonen's tire flies off of his car, uh, causing another safety Wild. car, which yeah, like, there's an amazing slow motion off. shot of that happening, by the way. Yeah, well, tether and all. The whole thing just like gone. I think the so tether tethers the wheel itself to right. the car body this was the tire oh, it was only the tire coming okay. off of the the wheel so oh. do we know yet whether or not this was a pitch issue like i think it was because alfa romeo was handed a five thousand euro fine was okay yeah because that's super yeah. dangerous because you know we, we don't like wheels flying around in fact was it vettel was behind him who overtook yeah yeah i think and like even then the, the wheel disappeared and he kind of went for it and obviously made the turn before the wheel did crossed over it. But I was kind of like watching the replay going, geez, is there a wheel going to come out of right field here and hit him? It's right. dangerous. Yeah, it's like a rubberized cannonball, like bouncing right. across the track. Like these speeds, that thing is lethal. Uh, yeah, that thing is supposed to stay stuck to the car too. Um, that was a pretty, it was a pretty wild, uh, pretty wild mistake. Uh, yeah, even thankfully it happened said, slightly later. Sorry, go on. Ragnar said on the radio, "I don't understand how that's possible." <laughs> yeah, um, Albon thought he had to give the place back to Perez, but the stewards did end up uh, giving it to him. Um, but we do have yet another 
safety car. Uh, and I think you were about to say, Danny, with all these restarts, Botas is having to defend against Hamilton uh, and so far has done an excellent job. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it, there's been at this stage we have so many interesting fights going on. Norris is still in the mix, who for the longest time we thought was out of this because he dropped back so fast after the first couple of laps. Um, Leclerc is back in there as well. There's just so much going on. So yeah, what I the note that I have here is, is interesting is that we're we're now looking at another you know, Botas's lead gobbled up again, another fight for first position. But I don't know about you. Did you guys have the feeling that they were showing a lot more of the rest of the pack during this race? Uh, I felt like I was getting way more of that. I think they may have interpreted. So the weird thing is, I think between Hamilton and Botas, the most tense point of this race is from the first restart uh, to the to second safety car. Uh, mm. Basically, because then... like. Hamilton is just kind of laying siege to, to Botas. And if there's a place where Botas's uh, skill set tends to be not as complete as Hamilton's, it's just maximizing tire life. Uh, and you could already see, like, he was all over that track using the curb because, one, he has to hold Hamilton back. Uh, but, two, he might be trying to preserve his tires by just using more track surface. Uh, and Hamilton is just, like, always there and i think that that race is basically ended when that call comes in on lap 47 where james vows says uh you know the gearbox issue is critical stay off the curb is both cars mm. and that was them calling time and i think the I, I my sense was the production kind of read that um after this restart the action was going to be behind uh right. p2 mm. Yeah, so on the restart, lap 61. Um, oh, boy. Uh, after this, it is on for the next 10 laps. We got 71 laps here. Uh, so we got a, we got a lot. <laughs> like, I'm not, this is not the final page of my notes. Um, <laughs> so it looks like this on the restart. Botas first, then Hamilton, Albon, Perez. Then in fifth, we have Norris, then Leclerc, Gasly, Ocon. And then Sainz is in ninth, Kafiat is in tenth. Behind them, Vettel, Latifi, Giovinazzi, and that's it. There are thirteen mm. cars left. Um, yes, we've lost Raikkonen, Russell, Grosjean, Magnussen, Stroll, Ricardo, and Verstappen. Yes, it's like the good old days. Uh, it's like fucking. <laughs> it is. I've been watching a lot during the break. I watched a lot of old racing, and it's it's yeah. very much like this, with the exception totally. of the broadcasts uh, focusing on cars other than the ones in the top three spots. So right. uh, be, be, be thankful, I guess, for that, since we're watching it uh, in, in this era. Um, Danny, you mentioned turn four earlier. Do you want to take us yeah. to this next incident? Yeah. Oh, my God. I screamed. My poor daughter. I think I was serving her yogurt or something when this happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first lap, we had that coming together of, of Albon and Hamilton. Albon ended up having the racing line was strong but not aggressive um with the overtake and and Hamilton maybe stayed in there a little bit too long and got got a got a love tap and ended up having to correct himself a little bit um but he should have known the thing we know about turn 4 is that if you are not ahead going into that turn you're not going to take it um the problem is is that there's no overtaking opportunity after turn 4 basically until you get back around to turn 1 so it's irritating to be overtaken on turn four. 
Uh, Hamilton maybe stuck his nose in a little bit longer, but then Hamilton is a fighter, and that's why he's the driver he is. So he came around to turn four again. Albon has a great exit on turn three. Ahead of turn four, he's in there. Same move. He has the his cars in front going into the turn. Same thing again. Hamilton stays in. Hamilton... This time his wheel, his front right, is a little bit further ahead than it was last time. So maybe he has even more impetus to stay in there. But he shouldn't have. And Brazil happens again. Albon, who is basically on course for getting his first Formula 1 podium, is once again taken out by an over-eager Lewis Hamilton. In Brazil, you could argue that uh, he Albon wasn't in the best position, that perhaps he was a, as... You know, Lewis got a penalty that time around, but like he was, he didn't help himself. He he did get gobbled up. This time around, this was just Hamilton sticking his nose where he shouldn't have been, basically, and and spinning him into one of the worst places to get knocked out. Because not only are you stuck in a, you know, everyone's getting got right behind you because it's a safety car, which is just a nightmare to spin during a safety car restart, but also you're stuck in a gravel trap, so you just have to deal with with that, getting the tires back up to speed and um, trying to re-enter the track safely again. So he ends up tumbling all the way back. What a shame. Nightmare. Immediately, I was so angry, I just, I looked down the fields to see who else I could look forward to. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if Norris might have a chance now. <laughs> Rob, do you agree? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was like egregious by Hamilton, but I think a penalty was, um, you know, deserved. Uh, I, I think, yeah, there's <sighs> Brazil last year seemed like a clear lapse, uh, but this was a Albin was there. Like Hamilton could see him and see he has the better line, and Hamilton has space to also avoid contact. Uh, and I do think this is one of those places where under some older school, uh, regimes in formula one, that's just good, hard racing, right? Like part of F1 was just like, Oh, you just slam the door on that guy. And now that is likely to draw a penalty. And I think that's a wise direction for the sport to be moving in because it's already hard enough to overtake. I've, I've said this before. Uh, if the defender is allowed to basically occupy both lines through a corner, uh, then you've just, you've just exacerbated the overtaking issue. If, if a driver in Albin's position has to be prepared to just be run off the road, every time he tries to execute a move like that, um, you're not going to see those moves and the racing is going to suffer. And so I think this was a decent penalty. I think Hamilton could have uh, allowed more room and the battle could have continued, though on those tires, Albin is probably going to be gone. Uh, but I think, you know, bigger picture here, this is a circuit where they're trying to deter people being pushed off uh, really aggressively, at which point you have to force drivers to give more tarmac to each other, uh, or you're going to have some boring races. Mm. Yeah, I think there's, you know, maybe a case to be made for. Um, I think Brundle's initial reaction was that Albon was being impatient. Um, he eventually reversed that after seeing some replays. But um, Albon was on the soft tire and Hamilton was on the hard. So you could mm. maybe assume that in a f couple more 
corners, you may have another opportunity. But like this is Lewis Hamilton after all. Um, and as Christian Horner Horner pointed out in episode or season two of Drive to Survive, quote, we want the drivers to be heroes. If he crashes the car trying, if he's going for it, I don't care. So Alex Albon is being a Red Bull driver here. Um, I also yeah, think Lewis I've... Hamilton is being a Mercedes driver here because he is so used to dominating everyone. He assumes that there's no way Albon is going to be there when he comes through the corner. I think he's he wouldn't have been a Mercedes driver if he had spun as well because the Mercedes are good at finishing races and not making sloppy mistakes. And I guess this was a sloppy mistake in that he got a five-second penalty and it ended up you know hurting him later on. But it you know... It did seem like he was he wasn't racing Albon. It felt like he was racing Botas. And even though Albon yes. was there, he was right, looking at the, the track. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is a bit of a shame. I I think Albon, you know, totally broken up about what happened in Interlagos. Um uh this is just kind of like like the nightmare happening again, all over again. But I also don't think anyone at the paddock and I don't think anyone in Red Bull as critical as they are would blame him for this one. It didn't. Alvin, no, like the he. No, he got he got. You know, I was. I don't want to say he got screwed or something like that, because because I'm I'm with Rob. It's it's not that egregious, but he wasn't at fault at least. And it was it would have been a fantastic overtake if he'd pulled it off. It was would have it was the best overtake of the race. I'm a fan of the accidental uh, grudge though, and. I'm yeah. real I'm real interested like Albin of all people to have like his nemesis be <laughs> Lewis Hamilton just yeah. because of like just because of the way these races keep shaking out they aren't even really supposed to be in these like duels uh, right. and yet they keep kind of being thrown together on track and every time well it's happened twice but it just keeps going so badly uh, for, for Albin and so I'm really curious like you know last year uh, you know the beast was awakened in Charles Leclerc, uh-huh. and uh. <laughs> who knows uh, what Alexander Albon will see next week. Yeah, it was interesting seeing his reaction. He said something like, oh, he's such a sore loser, or he's such uh-huh. a something when it happened. But after yeah. the race, Hamilton criticized. He said he didn't think it should have been a penalty racing incident, but he did say it was his fault. Um, and And also Albon was bit more restrained than he was in the car but uh yeah totally let the sparks fly rob (laughs) yeah he said after the race um i gave as much space as i really this is albin i gave as much space as i really could i was right on the edge i knew as long as i gave him as much space as i could give him it was up to him whether he wanted to crash or not Mm. which is interestingly something that people used to say about Ayrton senna like he gave you the option either back off or crash um okay hamilton immediately is told about a chassis issue as a result of this and maybe even a gearbox issue as well uh perez inherits third place from Albon, but he hasn't pitted in a while uh and so is losing pace to norris who's now in fourth place behind him um norris's teammate signs meanwhile uh restarted uh after the safety car in ninth place but has made it up to sixth behind leclerc in two laps uh and somehow Leclerc is looking very fast and gets by Norris for fourth place, um, which then puts Norris under fire from signs. Uh, so from Perez, no, uh, no Norris sorry. is under I'm fire sorry. from signs. Hmm. Um, and at this point, Mer- uh, Perez has old tires on Mercedes, as Brundle says, are limping along in their cars that are, you know, everyone's afraid that they're going to break. 
Um, so despite Ferrari looking pretty bad this weekend, Leclerc has a real shot at something big here. And he's currently in third. Um, and at this stage, do Norris and Sainz know about Perez's five seconds? No, we don't get. We don't know about Hamilton's five seconds. We don't know about mm. Perez's five seconds. Those are still coming. Um, and on lap 66, Leclerc from way back dives down the inside of Perez for third. Um, this kind of upsets Norris, weirdly, who comes under fire again from Sainz, but does manage to stay ahead. Those guys have some great back and forth. Um, then we get Hamilton's five-second penalty for his contact with Albon. So on track, it is Botas, Hamilton, Leclerc, Perez, Norris, Sainz. Leclerc is less than two seconds away from Hamilton at this point, which means he's on for second place. And depending on what happens behind Leclerc, somebody else could get third if they're also within five seconds to Hamilton. So that makes the uh, uh, Norris and Sainz battle for fifth really start to heat up because after the safety car, everybody is still really close. Exactly. If the safety car hadn't happened again, most yeah. of this would be moose. <laughs> right, but we had three of them. Um, so and both penalties happened as a result of safety cars. One was a restart, is... one was a pit, pit, uh, pit, pit, pit stop during yeah. a safety car. Um, so those two go side by side for a few corners, but Norris stays ahead. Um, Later, Sainz make makes a few dives to the outside, but uh, can't get past uh, his teammate. Um, Hamilton, meanwhile, is setting fastest laps to try to stay ahead of as many people as he can with that penalty. And then Perez but, but is handed a five-second penalty. Right. And I'm saying what Hamilton was interesting is that there's no way they're going to let him pass Botas anyway. Like, right, at this yeah. stage. Right. So, like, you got the penalty, man. Um, yeah. So... Perez gets a five second for speeding in the pit lane. So he's effectively out of the podium fight. That leaves right. it up to Norris to stay within five seconds to Hamilton in order to get third place, which is made harder by the fact that a slower Perez is ahead of him on track. And um, Sainz is trying to catch him up from behind. And Sainz is trying to catch him. Uh, lap 69, Albon pulls off and retires. Not sure if that is related to his contact with Hamilton or another issue. Um, later that same lap, though, Norris barges past Perez and now has a free track ahead of him to chase down Hamilton. But crucially, less than two laps to do it. At this point, he is 6.3 seconds away from Hamilton and needs to be under five. And what an Uh, overtake of Perez. That's how you overtake Perez. Because Perez is just like mean, man. Perez just does not... (laughs) He does not... He'll put you in the wall if you're his teammate. (laughs) (laughs) If you try and overtake him, he'll he'll park that car sideways. And Norris did it. He did it the way he's supposed to. tires are so old on Perez, though. That's that's the thing. I do look back at that strategy decision to not bring him in. Yeah. And like he was out there in, you know, he he'd shown up with like the the wet noodle to a gunfight basically at that <laughs> point. Like, I think I think his lap, I think his tires were well north of thirty laps old, possibly like uh, over forty at this point. I, unless they snuck in a, uh, unless they snuck in a stop that that I missed, uh, his tires were were like he finished the race with forty five lap old tires. Mm. Yeah. So like and they're mediums, yeah. Um, like so, mean or no? I really wonder like how much was left in that car for him, or was he just like trying to? Because you know when your tires are that shot, are you racing other people or are you just trying to feel for where the car is about to fly off the track? Yeah. So as if things couldn't get any crazier, um, 
Kafiat's rear tire explodes, uh, which <laughs> they blame on Okan pushing Kafiat wide into some of the sausage curbs. Um, uh, and judging from the onboard video, Kafiat could feel the suspension before the failure, so um, it wasn't just a right. tire thing. Um, so, okay. As the last lap begins, Hamilton is about half a second behind Botas, which gives him a DRS advantage that Norris doesn't have. Uh, Norris, though, is now 5.7 seconds away. We don't hear this on the radio, but apparently Norris's team tells him to basically turn everything up to 11 and just go as fast as possible. Um, you know, your engine might explode, but who cares? Crank it up. Uh, it's like Speed on, Racer. <laughs> yeah. On screen, they display Norris's gap to Hamilton as the Mercedes cars and Leclerc uh, are crossing the finish line and it is slowly ticking down. Norris then crosses the line, does the fastest lap of the race and finishes <laughs> 4.8 seconds behind Hamilton, earning him third place. And an extra point. And an extra point for that fastest lap. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely uh, fantastic. They, they came over the radio saying, we think that's it. We think that's it. We think that's a podium. We think that's a podium. Yeah. And he celebrates and then kind of says, well, I don't want to say it just in case. But then they told him to go around. Don't park in the pit lane. Go around. Yeah. Go on to the star finish straight. Yeah, there's, there's a video on um, that McLaren has released that uh, I will link in the show notes of the team watching the screen during this moment, and uh, it's it's amazing. But yeah, his, oh, his, really? engineer is like, his voice is shaking when he's telling him that he might have gotten third. Uh, yeah, Norris responds which, with which a lot it, of exclamations totally. and expletives, and then a, a GG boys. <laughs> yeah, he said GG boys. That was so good. He tweeted as well a couple of days later that it's amazing. I was a pro Twitch streamer only 10 days ago, and now I've won my first, I've got my first podium. And I yeah. Thought, <laughs> which I thought was quite good. Uh, yeah, that's wild. Just think about where McLaren were, like, a couple of years were, ago. Yeah. Dude, they were the laughing stock. As they pulled up to the podium parking spaces, and I was like, this is a Mercedes, Ferrari, and McLaren like podium like those three cars and those three teams together i was like what reality have i fallen through into because like the ferrari looked like shit uh on qualifying day Mm -hmm. uh norris didn't look like he was going to be anywhere near uh near this um and it was a crazy race but also it was very cool to see this kind of distributed outcome yeah uh mercedes's twitter account pointed out that Sunday, uh, this this race was the first time in F1 history that Mercedes, McLaren, and Ferrari have shared the podium together. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, Leclerc, uh, for his part, on the radio said, uh, very excited for P2. Uh, he says, uh, that's probably one of my best performances ever. Uh, it was so difficult. The restart and everything is so difficult to stay in front of the guys behind, especially in the straights. Uh, the road is long, but anything is possible. Yeah, wild. Um, Who would have thought that they'd get those points? And it's so interesting, man. It's like, it's so cool to see, like, we've so few races. Anything, like, this is just yeah. going to be so much fun. And they, have to anyone... <laughs> they have to re-rack. They have to re-rack. Like, the, the, other, the other thing, I think, looming over all of this is, like, how much of these concerns about, hey, don't wreck this car is also about the fact that, like, Listen, we don't think we have 
the parts if we have as many races this season as we expect we're going to have yeah you can't like we can't leave bits and pieces of formula one cars scattered all over austria this week <laughs> because next week we really need those same bits and pieces to do this again uh and so i am just dying with curiosity like what the hell does this look like next week right like what are they going to put do anything different? Like, what have people learned? Um, is it going to be no holds barred because now it's not a double header, and so you you can just like shake that thing to pieces? I have no idea, but like the double header F one thing is just messing with my brain. The fact that they're totally. going to run this race again is that going to be so weird? Awesome. Like the fact that yeah. we've just been live we've been living like this Groundhog Day nightmare for four months, and now F one is doing the same thing. We're yes. just gonna watch. Wait, didn't I watch this last weekend? What? I'm still at home. Oh. I haven't left in weeks. Uh, well, <clears throat> to run down the first half of this time warp, uh, here is how the Austrian Grand Prix finished: uh, Valtteri Bottas on top, Charles Leclerc in second, and Lando Norris rounding out the podium. Lewis Hamilton came home officially in fourth place after his five-second penalty. Carlos Sainz in fifth. Sergio Perez in sixth after his five-second time penalty. Then we've got Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, Antonio Giovinazzi, and Sebastian Vettel bringing home the last point. The last car running in that really rough 11th spot, Nicholas Latifi, who was so close to his first, his points on debut uh, with Williams. Um, cars that were still classified but did not see the checkered flag Danny Kafiet and Alexander Albon not classified were Kimi Raikkonen George Russell Roman Grosjean Kevin Magnussen Lance Stroll Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen I'm so excited for him to do the constructor standings <laughs> so yeah um, that's that's effectively the driver standings right there uh, but the constructor standings look like this oh, man. Mercedes what do you know they're on top with 37 points Number two, McLaren with 26 ahead of Ferrari's 19. Then we've got Racing Point with eight points, Alpha Tori with six, Renault with four, Alfa Romeo with two, Keep uh, going. Williams Mercedes, zero. And you may not uh, realize that I haven't mentioned yet Red Bull Racing Honda in da, ninth da, da. place. And on the Formula One webpage, Haas is not even on here. It's not even listed. They only have they only have nine teams. I don't know whether that's a bug or what. Uh, Williams, Red Bull, and Haas uh, all have zero points. Or all last. Imagine that. Look like a bunch of arseholes. I think. Wait. No. This. I think this makes sense because uh, Alex Albon, Haas even though didn't... he didn't see the checkered flag, he was classified, which you right. can happen if. Uh, if you go out within oh. the last few laps, the, the Haas cars didn't reach the last few laps. So as far as Formula 1 so stats are concerned, zone. they are DNFs completely. <laughs> wow. wow. I didn't know you could DNF your way out of the standings. That's impressive. That uh, is amazing. Are they incredible. not in the driver's? St- they're not. Oh, my God. That's amazing. The driver's standings only have 13 cars in them. Yeah. because The, the driver's standing only lists. That's amazing. Wow. Uh, the sixth sense uh, Formula One <laughs> racing team, right? Where it's like they're <laughs> driving with everyone else and they can't figure out like why nobody notices it. <laughs> oh, fair play to Williams. They finished in a car. Hey, that's right. Uh, in a race that saw <clears throat> uh, nine cars left on the side of the road. 
That's crazy. It's carbs, man. Wow. Wow. Um, Glad we're going again. We are. This weekend. So buckle up once more. Um, (laughs) But before we do that, we've got some news to get to. Uh, Late late breaking news. Uh, Late as Daniel Ricardo. uh, Speaking of. His replacement at Renault has not yet been announced officially, but every news source and their mother have said that it will be Fernando Alonso. Get your deck chairs ready, folks. Danny, what do you think? What do you think? I think, I think, I am, I don't know about you guys, (laughs) but I am sick of seeing. Fernando Alonso in shit cars. So all I feel like is, great, we're going to have Alonso just once again complaining and not we're not seeing the best out of him. And I, I don't feel confident about the where that Renault is and where it might be next season. So I don't know. I like, I'd be happy for him to come back, but yeah, just seems irritating. What do you think, yeah, Ryan? I'm in a similar boat to Danny. I just feel that um, it's a weird thing. Like it almost seemed like from the moment Alonzo left F1, he regretted leaving F1. Uh, but also, he visibly hated being at McLaren. And how much <laughs> of this is just like that the team soared the minute he walked out the door. That could have been awkward timing. It could have been the fact that uh, he was one of the elements holding that team back. I don't know, but like he did seem like he didn't enjoy this anymore. Uh, he mm. was pissed off and checked out. And I do kind of wonder if he gets to Renault and it's a similar kind of vibe, um, you know, is this going to be another one of those dismal, like, you know, seasons where Alonzo feels like he's being wasted. Uh, that being said, the Renault engine does sound really cool in the Encore cameras. Uh, it's got a cool high-pitched whine that makes it sound a bit like a spaceship. And I don't know if mechanically that means anything good or positive about the car's performance or power potential, uh, but I do know that I would like to drive it. And uh, if it's good enough for me, it's more than good enough for Fernando Alonso. I, w- I was wondering. I noticed that too. It did. Sa- it sounds weird, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it sounds like it's broken. <laughs> so, the thing is, we we do know that the engines, like all the engines, are different, but also their layouts are different, uh, just a little mm. bit uh, for how they fit in the back of the car. So, I do wonder if the mic placement is fixed, but like the engine relative to that is right. different. Uh, and so we are just hearing like a flywheel or something uh, that yeah. we don't hear as clearly under the cars. But car sounds rad. I love it. I think there were some technical um, difficulties for the cameras this weekend. Uh, there is no onboard replay of the Albon Hamilton incident because Albon's uh, T camera was not working the whole time. Okay. Um, they do have a. I guess all the cars have a, and this is for like um, FIA safety regulations for debriefs on crashes and stuff. There is at the, you can kind of see it in front of the halo is a little bulb. That's a 360 degree camera. That's how they got Um, Hamilton, right? That's yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, 
they don't live stream from that, um, but they can download the video after the race. And so that's what they use in the uh, uh, the official onboard for uh, on their YouTube cool. channel for um, for that that incident. Um, but uh, so that wasn't working on Albon or um, yeah on Albon's car. Um, the the sound from Leclerc's car, uh, I don't think was coming from their onboard microphone. It sounded like it like you know when you get the audio from a GoPro and it sounds like it's you know in a plastic box or something. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, nice. Um, uh, speaking of driver news, we talked last week uh, or at least last week, maybe the week before. Uh, Vettel is out at Ferrari after this year. Uh, currently has no contract for any other team. Um, and initial reports suggested that it was sort of an amicable agreement. Um, Vettel and Ferrari both made it sound like that. Oh, you know, we just, you know, just didn't want to continue our relationship. Um, right before this Grand Prix, it came out that that's not entirely accurate. Uh, Vettel was not offered uh, a renewal of his contract. Yeah. Uh, which, boy. It's, it's you, not me. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like he's he's trying to be as magnanimous as possible about the whole thing and, and hope that they can he can do well this year, but yeah, sounds like they just cut him loose. I mean, the thing is like to a degree we're we're kind of shocked that somebody of Vettel's accomplishments would be treated that way. Uh but at the same time like is this actually worse than Ferrari sending him a low bid that like is clearly a please don't fucking accept this man. Uh you're worth more than this but we don't want to pay you more than this because we want you to leave. Uh and mm. we just want to conceal the fact you're effectively being fired. Um you know, it's this is a pretty brass knuckled decision. Um but at the same time, like, the guy needed to go. I, you know, we haven't seen anything in the last, uh, you know, season and a half at least that hasn't indicated that Vettel is not one of the problem areas for Ferrari's on-track performance. And they're trying really hard to put their program back on the rails. And a necessary step in that was probably getting Vettel out of that car. Um, going back to Alonso for just a second, I, um, <clears throat> I would have preferred to see Guan Yu Zhou, the Chinese Formula 2 driver who's part of the Renault program, uh, in that seat. And I'll bet Chase Carey would have preferred to see Guan Yu Zhou, the Chinese driver, mm. in that seat. Um, yeah, I don't so. know if he has the super license points to do it, though. So maybe we might see, like, a one-year run from Alonso and then get the, get the new guy in here, but, uh, mm. we'll see. Anything's uh, possible, last... man. Fucking, it's, I can't read the tea leaves anymore. It's just, yeah. it's just, who knows? Week yes. to week now. I just live week to week when it comes to F1. Uh, last bit of news here. Um, happened before the race kicked off. Uh, I haven't followed this too much. I've seen some, uh, some, some photographs and some, <laughs> some Instagram messages here. Um, who wants to take this one? I followed it pretty closely at the time. Do you want me to give it a go, Rob? Yeah. I think I'll, I'll let me start it off and you can yeah. pick it up if uh, if needs be. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've we've obviously seen F1 making 
proactive measures in relation to uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and the sort of global conversation uh, that is kicking up again at the moment. Um, perhaps maybe in, in a way that is more substantive, you would hope, uh, about um, the oppression of marginalized people and uh, specifically uh, uh, black people in, in uh, Western countries. Um, the you know specter of race has always been over F1 and none more so than when the most dominant racer of our this generation, Lewis Hamilton, was uh, was involved in and being targeted um, over the past few years. Obviously, that sort of feels like it's disappeared somewhat. Um, but leading into this race, they uh, the I guess the organization was you know being a lot more proactive as a unit as as one sort of entity trying to really um uh, uh be on the on the right side of history i guess and, and and also they're doing stuff in the back it sounds like to to maybe make open doors that were previously not there um uh to to black people so uh as part of this uh there was a lot of liveries and the cars uh with various messaging on it all over the paddock as well i think end racism was written at the start of the pit it looked like and uh, one of the chopper shots um but before the race i think it was after the anthem i didn't actually see the start because f1 tv was totally broken we'll get to that in the emails um they uh the drivers basically took a knee at the start of the grid um or at least most of them did they all wore shirts uh that said end racism except for lewis hamilton who wore a black lives matter t-shirt um i guess i was unaware that some people are sensitive to the political messaging of blm in particular um but uh six of the drivers i think no five of the drivers um while wearing the shirts some of them pointing at their shirts uh five of them did not kneel um one that people were worried about prior to the race was lando norris who i he did i forget i think it was carlos Sainz got no one of them got to got late to the kneeling but did kneel i don't know who it was but uh, Lando and a couple of drivers prior to the race, I think Verstappen and I want to say uh, Charles Leclerc as well, posted Instagram messages, basically just like white text on a black background, saying either that they won't take a knee or that they are, you know, yada, 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 you know, the same type of sort of um, uh, nonsense we've been seeing from certain people. Um, uh, Lando was a bit vague in his one as well, and people were worried. Uh, yeah, do you have one there, Drew? Yeah, I've got I've got uh, the um, uh, notes from Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. Um, so Leclerc says all twenty drivers stand united with their teams against racism and prejudice. At the same time, embracing the principles of diversity, equality, and inclusion, supporting Formula One and the FIA's commitment. I believe that what matters are facts and behaviors in our daily life, rather than formal gestures that could be seen as controversial in some countries. I will not take the knee, but this does not mean at all that I am less committed than others in the fight against racism. Hashtags end racism, we race as one, racing united and purpose driven. Max Verstappen yeah, says, I, I am Yeah, go on. Uh, I am very committed to equality and the fight against racism, but I also believe that everyone has the right to express express themselves uh, at a time and in a way that suits them. I will not take the knee today as I came to Austria to race. But respect and support the personal choices every driver makes in how they express themselves. Hashtags and racism. We race as one Austrian GP. Uh, the other people who did not were uh, Kimi Raikkonen, who um, I guess doesn't do anything ever. So maybe that's not so surprising. I don't know. Uh, Daniel Kvyat, uh, Carlos Sainz and Antonio Giovinazzi. You can 
people have been drawing conclusions over why. I think it's easy and maybe wrong, I don't know, to to be able to pinpoint why when you look at the nationality of those of some of these folks. Um uh it's it's a shame. I've been trying to like wrap my head around it a little bit. Um when it comes to the Claire, like people are free to do whatever they want. I think I think it's um uh cowardice to not do it to be frank um i think it's privilege and it's cowardice i think the time for sitting on the fence or trying to act like this isn't something we should be proactive about has long since passed but also i don't really know if a kid who effectively grew up in a country that's a fucking country club is maybe the most tapped into like racism and oppression so i don't blame leclerc for being myopic about this but i do think it's it's a shame that when the 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 sort of the call is there that some of them just weren't able to pick up the phone. Yeah, I um It's a bad look that next year's Ferrari lineup did neither of them kneeled. Uh all right? four like, if you if yeah. you you know, yeah. Yeah, we had that conversation uh, some weeks back about the sort of pie-in-the-sky theory of, like, you know, could we see Lewis Hamilton in Ferrari Red uh, before the end of his career? And the thing that, you know, you and I were both talking about, Danny, was the fact that, like, is it worth the shit that Hamilton would have to put up to to go cross off the milestone of racing for Ferrari? Um, And certainly that photo op uh, does suggest that, there's something about that team uh, that doesn't prioritize this. And given that some of the things we've seen in Italian football, uh, you know, it's very easy for teams to hire black talent and also very easy for them to leave them twisting when Mm -hmm. a hostile fan base uh, turns on them and taunts them uh, and nobody does anything. Um, I'm not sure optimistically i would say it's cowardice of some of these guys to avoid taking the knee but honestly with this sort of staged photo op taking the knee seemed like the most frictionless option that seemed like Mm. the easy thing to do the thing that concerns me a little bit is that one of the things that reactionary culture sort of thrives on is this notion that in their hearts everyone thinks like we do uh, that anyone who goes out there and says, I'm committed to the cause of anti-racism is just engaging in virtue signaling, right? They're pretending to have a worldview that is fake. And it's fake because what the reactionary mindset holds to be true, they universalize. This is, this is a universal truth, and everyone who argues differently is just lying uh, because they're trying to sort of blend in with an, an ideology. And... When you're dealing with those sort of dynamics, when you eschew a gesture like this, you're actually making another gesture. It's not, it's not just saying, okay, I choose not to do this because like, this isn't my thing, this isn't my style. That will be interpreted. And we can't be naive about this. We can't pretend that there's no way uh, this group – well, maybe Kimi. I suspect he's probably not very online. But everyone else there is in an age group where they, they know the score, right? They, they know what yeah. online discourse is. And they know how that will be interpreted. And yet they still choose to remain standing to avoid making this gesture. And I think it is frustrating the degree to which F1 and the drivers in that grid fumbled this moment. Because things have changed. Like, 
we're talking more about anti-racism now uh, because yeah. I think for much of my life, the idea was that racism might just die off on its own, right? That as long as you weren't racist, as long as we didn't raise racists in our society, demographics changing, the world changing, racism would somehow go away. It sounds laughable now, but this was one of the logics of uh, the last 40 years since the uh, you know end of the civil rights movement in, in a lot of ways. And that's been proven demonstrably false. It's not enough to say, well, I'm not, I'm not racist, um, but I'm also not going to confront racism. I'm not going to fight it. I just want marginalized people to know that on a personal human-to-human basis, we're cool. And that's a very low bar to set. And it's a very self-serving one. And it doesn't mm-hmm. actually help marginalized groups or the structural oppression they face. And... That is why this discourse has shifted to this idea of that's not enough. It's not enough for you to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I, I don't fuck with racism. I, you know, I am not a racist myself, therefore I'm cool. That's not enough. Like the, the drivers in that grid were given a different choice, which is that you have to take a stand here against racism. You have to tell racist people that you are not with them that you are with the cause of sort of stamping out their ideology and stamping out the structural advantages and violence they inflict on marginalized people. That is what you are about now. If you want to stand with us, it means standing against racism. And F1, I think, flubbed this worse than NASCAR did when they faced, um, you know, a slightly murkier situation, more challenging one in a lot of ways. Um, you know, who knows where all this is going to end up with, end up with in NASCAR, but they have taken positive steps to say this shit is not welcome in our space anymore. And six drivers on the F1 grid basically said, eh, I'm not comfortable with the gesture. And if you're not comfortable with the gesture, what the fuck are you comfortable with when it comes to ending racism? How is that going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Self-serving yeah, it's, it's, feels like a big part of it. Sorry, go on, Drew. Yeah, it's it's you're right. It's just kind of confounding. Like they had every um every excuse to do it. Like you, you could you could lean on and anyone who you imagine would chastise you for doing so. You had every way to lean on. Well, you know, everybody else was doing it, or or Formula One itself right, has like these sponsors, things. So, or yeah, sponsors, yeah, if you wanted yeah. to be that coward, easy. Right, and, yeah. and so and so I'm just I don't I don't get it. Um, I, th- yeah. I think this to me this like is very especially when you bring up the Bubba Wallace stuff and what happened at the, the NASCAR race um, with the sort of uh, uniting around him and, and all that I think to me this this very much is uh, feels like my experience of uh, of, of s- seeing racism in America and in Europe and the different sort of like temperatures that they're at whereas like racism in america feels like this this seething hot um thing that 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 appears in these big explosions um in certain parts of the country and in europe it's it's this simmering undercurrent that that we almost imagine it doesn't isn't there it's very easy to pretend it isn't there for most of my life i didn't think it was there it took me i i you know i i feel like it was only till i moved to london and then 
you know, I was, I was, I was an Irish guy in London, and I thought I'd be persecuted, of course, because I was, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Irish guy in London. We set off bombs here, to whatever, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I rated her. And then I was able to get a cab home from the pubs, and my English mates who were black couldn't. And then I was like, oh, right. And it's just that, like, it's the different countries. You don't, have, if you drift further east or south or west, it's all very different. Racism comes in different forms in Scandinavia than it does in Germany, than it does in France. They're like, you know, and it's, I think, as well, over the past 10 years since I've left, I think I've not understood how a lot of the sort of like uh, African diaspora has affected European sensibilities when it comes to racism and perhaps made people who are sort of, in a way, maybe it's justified some of their persecutions, right? Because now they're looking at immigrants coming in, even if these immigrants are leaving because of byproducts of, you know, neoliberal Western countries. Um, so I, I, I think that's, it, it's, it's almost a more, it's almost a, a more... Um, insipid type of racism because you can't just point at it it doesn't it's not a flag that somebody's waving or has on a bumper sticker it's something that they don't even notice they probably have until moments like this yeah and i and i guess i could maybe understand at least um not feeling like it's your fight uh for for that reason but also like it or not you are a world ambassador as a formula one driver and mm. I I do not see an excuse for this. Yeah, it comes with the paycheck, you'd think, right? <laughs> right. Like, it's it's a shame. It's a massive shame. There was one moment that was really sort of like, I don't know, awkward, upsetting, when Hamilton drifted his eyes up and saw Kvyat standing, and Kvyat pointed at his end racism thing, and Hamilton sort of gave him a nodding gesture to sort of acknowledge it, and then Kvyat sort of looked at the cameras and pointed at it. Do you think, like, what's he wondering? Is he wondering in the back of his head, are all his Russian fans going to go mad, going to send him death threats if he if he bends his knee? Like, it's it's just so, the whole thing is just, yeah, it's upsetting. Kofiad at least has the vibe of somebody who's awkward in the class photo who's not sure where he's supposed to stand and, like, does the hype man thing. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, like, how how do they not, how do they not make sure this moment lands? How do they not... Uh, you know, get this across. And and the reason, you know, we're sort of speculating about why some drivers didn't kneel is uh, even though drive, what happens in driver's meetings is supposed to stay in driver's meetings. <laughs> Ricardo was just like, oh yeah, let me tell you what, what was uh, yeah. sort of said. And it's, it, it was, he sort of intimated that people were sort of saying their home markets or these gestures would be interpreted differently uh, depending on where they're from. But I do think that has something to do with the uh, fact that some people regard, and you see this dynamic here as well, uh, The it's it's not quite as bad as like All Lives Matter, but people get very leery about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement because it... it emphasizes one dynamic of racism the most salient one in the United States. Uh, but at the same time, it does give people an out where they say, well, what about it opens the door to a lot of what about ism and mm. black lives matter has become a much more confrontational movement, right? Like black lives matter is also not just, uh, 
you know, peaceful orderly protest is very confrontational uh, so civil disobedience. And I think that might be what people are alluding to. It's not that, oh, how will kneeling uh, play in you know Spain or Russia? I right. think it is that how does the confrontational challenging of the status quo uh, that is associated with Black Lives Matter, how does that play around the world? Because if there's one thing totally. F1 has not historically been about, it is challenging the status quo and confronting <laughs> power. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I when you look I... at a lot of those Mediterranean, sorry, a lot of those Mediterranean countries as well, like it starts to dig up some stuff that maybe they would prefer to have under the soil. Um, did you guys see what Magnuson said after the fact? Yeah, it was, was really strange. Gonna... He... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, 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 go for it. I, I haven't found oh. it yet. Oh, he, yeah, he basically, um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I caught it, I think, earlier today. He, he made a point of saying that he wasn't kneeling in support of Black Lives Matter, that he was kneeling in support of sort of the, the broader issue of racism, which is like, like why make the distinction, Matt? Like, well, why are they fucking scared of? Well, yeah, I mean, but um, I, that at least, doesn't that get around your concerns? Like, why, uh, like, why do you have to, like, give the preamble saying, like, uh, I'm not racist, but I'm not kneeling? Why can't you, if you're that kind of, if you have those concerns, why don't you do the Magnuson thing of saying, I knelt, but I'm not for these things. <laughs> it's, you, like, it's definitely less cowardly, but it's still, <laughs> it's still like a, a person in a position of racial privilege, basically kind of softballing it. You know what I mean? It's like, fuck it, hell. Like, just what's wrong? Like, come on, guys. You're the richest, like, you love your job. You have a great life. Just be uncomfortable about something that matters more than you for like a hot second. I, I'm with you that like, sure, like it's definitely better than the visual of them not bending a knee. But in a way, at least the ones that were not able to sort of, you know, man up to the moment or, or be that person that in that moment, at least we could see them and they weren't just, you know, keeping their 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 cowardice or their prejudice or whatever to themselves. Um the Magnuson comment really rubbed me the wrong way because it did just seem pretty worm-like in a lot of ways just to like make the make the gesture for the photo but then also like rush to social media and be like, hey, to be clear, I wasn't kneeling for Black Lives Matter. I was kneeling for the cause of ending racism and kneeling is as far as I will go with that. Yeah. 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 Should we move on? That's, yeah, I, I, speaking of moving on, it's going to be interesting to see what happens as this... Like, is that it? Have everyone done their sort of... Yeah. Their mandatory, you know, let's talk about racism thing and now they're going to move on? Like, probably. Like, that's probably the way they're going to deal with this, but... Will Hamilton let them? Like, I... Yeah, it shouldn't... It's so... It, you're totally right, but it's so sad that that's probably what's going to be the thing. That, like, he'll have to be the one that pushes the issue. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. I but I, I think it comes down to how disruptive he's at this interesting point in his career. He doesn't have anything left to prove. Like in terms of things left to accomplish in F one, there's not get that many, seventh season. Yeah, he could he could run the <laughs> score up and set that bar. But like he does seem like he's been moving in this more activist direction for a while. Um, and here the moment is kind of upon us, and I am curious, like how it is deeply unfair that to push this thing it would require basically uh lewis hamilton 
playing a Colin Kaepernick-like role within F1. Like, the difference being he's so unchallengeable that, like, nobody can fire him, nobody can replace him. Uh, so he has a degree of leverage and irreplaceability that, uh, you know, and, and in the kind of contract that guarantees him that ride, uh, you know, he can, he can kind of do things that weren't possible in the NFL. Uh, it sucks that he has to do that, but I'm curious if, if he will continue pushing this. Cause it did seem like there were a lot of people in F1 who were, all about like, yeah, I love the idea of ending racism, but then, you know, we talked on the last show about how Total Wolf was immediately like, oh, but, um, you know, we will never impose quotas on, you know, parts of hiring process. Uh, you know, we just need to question mark, question mark, question mark, end racism. That's how it feels. Uh, we just need to fix the pipeline and then qualified candidates uh, will, will come through and the problems are deeper than that. And I think F1 mm-hmm. will be looking for uh, for a fast out of this um and i don't know who is going to push them to hold the line on that well speaking of fast and out kubits a watch <laughs> jesus i was wondering uh, free going. free practice one we'll see everyone's favorite bobby k back in the alfa Ooh. romeo going around in practice uh, and uh, as it turns out, Jack Aitken, Formula 2 racer, part of the Williams program, will also be getting uh, a free practice one outing. Um, Jack Aitken, I remember watching him last year in Formula 2. He is for real. I, uh, I like him a lot. Mm. Um, and uh, other news leading up to the, this weekend's race, Ferrari is apparently fast-tracking their update package. It was going to be ready for Hungary, but I think they are trying to get it uh, ready for the Styrian Grand Prix. Um, so keep your eyes peeled on any Sounds a little uh, desperate. Games. It certainly does. <laughs> Sounds like Bonato's like handing his credit card information over to someone in Marinello so like he can drive down to the FedEx store or something. It just Yes. <laughs> okay, no, my, just use my account. Use my account. I don't even care. I mean, it'll be like uh, Drive to Survive Season 2 where they flew... Williams parts yep. coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the same track. We've got the same tires. By the way, they have a nice new graphic of uh, tires used and still available. Did you guys see that? Oh, cool. No, was that during that practice? I think, uh, I think it was during the race as well. Okay. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, Weather-wise... So it looks to be mm, quite a lot cooler uh, on okay. qualifying day. Uh, 60, uh, 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 16 Celsius. Um, much chillier than the uh, warmness of uh, this past weekend. Um, still light winds, 8 kilometers an hour, 5 miles an hour. Um same winds for Sunday, although uh, it is slightly warmer on race day, 69 or 67 degrees Fahrenheit, or uh, was that 19 Celsius? The big difference here, however, qualifying day, 97% chance of rain. Oh, you're kidding. Very wow. exciting. Wow. Very exciting. Mm. Falls to 5% for race day, but. Normalize double headers. So we just yeah. get like that cross <laughs> section of uh, seasonal yes. weather. 
Yes, and completely scrambling what time of year, although this is probably pretty similar for Austria, but like we could potentially be going to some places where, yeah, the track's open, but it's the monsoon season. <laughs> be amazing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and uh, we have our first check-in with the Shift F1 Fantasy League, which you can oh, join by uh, using the link in the, uh, in the show notes. Danny. I know. Have, I'm, so bad. I'm so badly organized. This is why you script all the. This is why you organize all the podcast notes every week. Well, you know, this is why I just do the emails and track walks. You're better at uh, timing stuff. We have going into this weekend number five in the overall leaderboard of over three thousand teams in here. Three thousand four hundred and twenty-three teams. Um, there's something. My, if whoever's on top of this one's got a fucking crystal ball. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, my highest team, by the way, number 1,000. Um, let's see. Number five is Saxy Steve Racing. Then we've got, uh, oh man, Sins of a Motorsport Empire. What a fantastic name. That's, that's a hot video game reference right there. Yeah. Uh, number three, I Haas a Bad Tasting Energy Drink. (laughs) Uh, number two <laughs> number two is Perez to the metal A for effort um, and number one um, I'm assuming this is team number two driver Boogaloo oh is that electric Boogaloo's return I, I, I guess yeah so technically breaking three driver two uh, and check this team out we got Botas Albon Norris Giovinazzi, Ocon, and McLaren. Yeah. Those pretty good. Those McLaren Norris points coming through. Nice. Yes, indeed. Um, yes. So should we take it to some emails, Danny? Yeah, we've got a couple of ones here we can spin through. Shiftf1podcast.gmail.com or go to f1.cool slash emails. Let me tell you, folks, the Hoover Dam done busted open. <laughs> I've never seen so many emails and so many emails that are about actual Formula One racing. Um, a couple of ones here because I know we're, we're a bit long this time. We'll, we'll get to more of them next week as well. A um, uh, couple of sort of ones I felt were important to get to while we're getting up to next week. This first one is from John. It's about Formula One television. Uh, this is the first time I've subscribed to F1 TV and this weekend was quite annoying. FP2 was fluctuating between 1080 and 144p. Qualifying was perfect uh, quality the whole time. Race day wouldn't recognize that I actually had a subscription and kept erroring out. So it was back to the uh, pirate streams for me. Yarg, what experience have you had with F1 TV? Will it be fixed by this week? Will I be able to watch races in Crystal Cure 1080 without it dropping out? Thanks for the great podcast. Uh, Look forward to it every week. And that was from John, who thankfully did not give their surname. So the FBI will not be knocking down their door with Bernie Eccleston in the back. Um, Well, I guess maybe not anymore. Chase Carey. yeah, so I had the same experience. I could not log in. Uh, I searched on Twitter. It looked like everyone was having the same problem. Shift F1 Discord, everyone having the same problem. They had massive authentication problems before the race, so I missed uh, all the preamble, um, which was a ma- massive shame and also had to find other means to watch the race. Uh, this did happen the first year of F1 TV, which am I right in saying was two seasons ago? Um, the first race was was haphazard at best, and then they had it solved. I don't know if the coronavirus means that they're they have less resources at the track, perhaps, and this will be another issue, or if this was just them. Shouldn't be you know, a track having, issue. 
uh, now, yeah, I don't know, like who's there? Like maybe they're different, and maybe one of the encoding people can't go because they're at Get risk. Get out there, right? Exactly. That's Drop what I'm saying. Like this... Parachute him in from the the PUBG airplane. Yeah, was it like Get a truck issue or a, or a web issue? I don't know, but so I don't know. All I can say is that last in previous years, this has been a problem at the start of the season, and they fixed it for the next one. So my hope is that that's the case here. But yeah, an acknowledgement that F1 TV was a nightmare. Uh, you, to wait six months to get this and have your... We all got emails, remember, a couple of months back where they like, you know, gave everyone back 70 cents <laughs> for the, <laughs> the lack of races. So um, this was a bit much, but uh, fingers crossed they will have it sorted by like three days from now. Uh, Rob, do you want to take this next one? Yeah. Uh, this is about race pace versus qualifying pace. Uh, it's from Chris from Lexington. Hey, Numers. I'm still relatively new to the sport, but I understand that you can't get the same sort of pace in an actual lap that you can during a qualification, but I'm curious as to why. Is it mostly down to engine settings? I figure since tire conservation isn't necessary, they can go as hard as they want and retain the traction. This is probably also true with fuel levels, considering the less weight the better. Is the racing line more aggressive? But at the end of the day, looking at the fastest lap times from the race, I don't understand how things like tire wear, fuel levels, and possibly race line could account for a five-second gap. These feel substantial to get a small boost, but not the massive difference. Why don't we see single laps going for the full quality uh, engine mode to take massive stabs at the car in front? Thanks for everything y'all do to help new fans learn more about the sport and keep up with all the drama. Um, this is kind of awkward because, Chris, you've answered most of your own questions. Uh, <laughs> like the things you're hypothesizing being the key factors. Those are basically the key factors. The thing to bear in mind is just think about the ways in which an F1 car is a dynamic system. Uh, so for one thing you saw during this race... By the time the cars are at their absolute lightest, when they burned off all their flu, their, their fuel, um, they're also trying to reach the end of a race. And probably by that point, after uh, you know dozens and dozens of laps, everyone has something they're worried about. Everyone has something they're trying to protect and keep from turning into a failure. So already people are going to be way more conservative uh, at the point in the race where they could actually have a chance at rivaling uh, the the qualifying time. And then, of course, if they've done their job right, they're also going to be on tires that are pretty faded uh, by the end of that race. And tires, you know, are worth fresh tires versus really depleted one really depleted ones that that gap uh can be more than a couple seconds in itself and so when the car is at its peak in a race is probably going to be shortly after they've made their final pit stop and they've got fresh rubber on and then they can go pretty fast and that's probably as close as they're going to get to matching anything like a qualifying pace but the other thing to bear in mind is that qualifying engine mode, I think um, I think maybe occasionally uh, you hear somebody basically having that, that quality mode almost unlocked during a race where it's like, we'll give you all the power we can. But qualifying in general, the, the hot lap mode is a different power setting than the 
and than anything you'd want to use in a race. Because the thing about the quality mode is that by the time that car crosses the finish line and set its fast time, that thing is completely out of battery juice. Like that thing needs to harvest power, which means the next lap you're going to be a snail out there uh, because you're basically desperately trying to get uh, recovered power back into that battery so you can deploy it. But you are basically defenseless uh, once you've depleted that. So nobody wants to do that. The most people are going to want to do is run a really aggressive setting uh, that still leaves them with a little bit of juice that they can run their normal lap the following lap. The quality mode is leaving it all on the table uh, in a way that's not possible in most race settings. Um, I'd have to look at how things compare to... Um, ever since they started giving the point away for the fastest race lap, you see people do that that hot lap at the end of the race. Like I, Lando. Yeah, new tires. yeah I, I need to check out what the <laughs> oh, delta sorry, is yeah. there. Right. I forgot about the new tire thing. Yeah, we did have some people come in, right, who were... Yeah, yeah but like, I think we saw this more last year, where you, where yeah. you would see people, like, because the, the, the field was so strong. out. Protested a couple of times, mm-hmm. didn't he? Yeah. yeah. When Lewis was miles away. <laughs> right, so the field would be so strong out that people would come in, and they would try to set a hot lap um, and get that point basically on the final lap of the race i'd have to look up what those uh gaps are like mm. but in in general uh you know the the qualifying mode the the entire car is set up like a sprinter uh come race day everything follows the logic of an endurance uh an, an endurance run and that is going to account for the, for those gaps yeah cuz on on race day even if you we're coming down to the end of the race, had very low fuel, put on new tires, and then turned up the engine mode. You've still got, like, other settings on your car, like aerodynamics and brake bias and, and uh, suspension settings that you can... Um, that have been set for the race to accommodate for an entire race's fuel loads. Whereas, mm. when you're doing that in qualifying, you're setting all of that up for a very specific configuration of your car that you know is only going to be out there for like two laps. Yeah. And super answer. Yeah. And the last thing to note, um, qualifying rules for how people have to behave on track. Very different. Like unless someone's on a hot lap, everyone's got to get out of your way. If you're setting a fast Mm. time, the odds Mm. of getting a clear track where no one's going to want to mess up your run, uh, cause nobody you're going to be overtaking is in contention with you or, uh, is trying to sort of win their, win their own fight, uh, you know, against their immediate rivals. Those, that is also another complicating factor, uh, where traffic matters even more in a race than like by Q3, there's nine other cars out there maximum. Um, that was almost the case in Austria. Uh, but (laughs) again, it's just a different, it's a different system. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic answer. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, and then the last one here, I'll just, I had a couple of people, um, messaging about this. Uh, so I kind of wanted to clear it up, but here, this is one from Alexander. Um, it's about the penalty points and specifically Hamilton. Um, I know the amount of penalty points required for a race suspension was changed after, uh, right. I can never pronounce. Ragunathan. Ragunathan. Ragunathan, Mm -hmm. uh, last season. Um, 
we talked a good deal about him last season, I believe, mm-hmm. and his various uh, his various errors. Um, I was under the impression that drivers get between zero to three points on the license for various offences, and after seven, they are forced to miss a race. It's actually 12. I'm not sure why he says seven. Um, I know Lewis gets at least two penalties from the first weekend, uh, failing to slow for a yellow and qualifying and then crashing into Albon. Uh, if he is given a race post, uh, sorry, post-race penalty for speeding under yellows on lap 69, um, I Googled that and I haven't seen if that's happened. Um so I don't know if that's the case. Uh, is he facing a race suspension? If not, even with just two penalties on a weekend, does that put him at risk as the season moves on? Um, so I did a bit of research on this. Hamilton, uh, you still have to reach 12 points within a calendar year. So that means you have to have accumulated 12 points within that year. So basically, it's like a re- it's like a, a circular resetting scenario where if yeah, you've got within- points... It's within yeah, a 12, same month 12 span. Right. Yeah. So and he, every point if, has if, a 12-month expiration period. Exactly. So it's kind of like you can, you know, you got to kind of be a, you know, good for a couple of un- coming up to the next one. So right now, Hamilton is actually on seven. He has gotten at least two this weekend. He has seven because he got a bunch of them back in, I think it was November uh, at the end of the season. Um, so... Right now, he only needs five more points to get a race suspension. Uh, but in, I believe it is September or maybe late August, he's going to get two back. So it all depends. We we have a way more compacted season this year. I don't know. I know they're going to take it a lot more seriously after what happened in F2 because uh, they were kind of lax on it. But uh, I don't know if... I tried to see if the FA had changed any of these rules considering that no longer are the races spread out over this whatever nine month period they're all going to be condensed so obviously the the chances of you accumulating those points over that period are far higher now um so i i haven't seen any changes in relation to that i wouldn't be surprised if hamilton got close to it that mercedes put in a, a question about that but as it stands he's five points away from getting um uh, a penalty uh, uh, which would mean he wouldn't be able to race in the next uh, race uh, but he does have a couple of months. If he can get to, I believe it's late August, he uh, will get a couple more back. And then if he gets to November, I mean, if any of us get to November, we'll be smiling. <laughs> All right, that's it for emails. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I am at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That is us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? It's us around the world. Yeah. Well, let's kick it off this week with not camping world trucks. Because we have, what are they called? Gander Mountain, Gander Mountain, Gander Mountain trucks. Uh, They are racing at mm, Twin Ring Motegi. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) this can't be right. Is this right? They're say? racing the waterfront in Yokohama between the <laughs> <laughs> between the cargo containers. Uh, I can't actually tell if this is the new schedule or the old one, but I'm just going to read it anyway. They're racing in Sparta, Kentucky. Wow! At the Kentucky Speedway in the buckle up in your truck, two twenty five. This is madness. Truck drivers, Indeed. please stop getting yourselves needlessly killed. Five hundred. <laughs> should be the no. It should be the the Sparta three hundred. Surely, 
It's very good. Thank you. Probably they're ta- they're a better taking... event too. Yeah. Turn one is Thermopylae. Oh boy. Uh, Formula two and Formula three will be uh, uh, shadowing Formula one this weekend. And we've also got IndyCar with a back to back two races at Road America for their round three mm. and round four races. That reminds oh, me. Yes, car. <laughs> Anyone a fan of Mark Knopfler? Who? <laughs> the Dire Straits. Mark Knopfler? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Knopfler, yeah. I don't think I've ever said <laughs> his name out of Swing himself. Yeah. One of his cornier songs, definitely about IndyCar racing. The Speedway oh, at Nazareth. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, now? <laughs> Where Wait. He, it's, just, it's just him reading the names of different IndyCar tracks in like the late nineties and then talking about the tragic things that happened to him. Um, Oh man. Yeah. It's really good. And he is, he is talking about Nazareth Speedway and not. Yeah. I don't, they don't run Nazareth That's been, uh, (laughs) no, it's closed. Is it? Yeah. I I think, I I think the Speedway at Nazareth might be too dangerous to run now. Yeah. I think that's been gone for a while now. I think I saw a video about how messed up it is or something. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I just heard about Road uh, America. (laughs) We got another race at the Kentucky Speedway. It's the Quaker State 400 presented by Walmart. Quaker State. Have they finally seceded? All those old id software fanboys? Boo. That's not where I thought you were going to go with that. <laughs> hey, man. Look, the dad jokes. I try and hold them back. Uh, and we've got Formula One. What do you know? Friday, July 10th, Jeez. we're at the Red Bull Ring in Austria for practice one at 5 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN2, followed by practice two at 9 a.m. Eastern time, also on ESPN2. Continuing on uh, the deuce, Saturday, July 11th, practice three at 6 a.m. Eastern time. And then we've got qualifying uh, at 9 a.m. on regular old ESPN. Sunday, everyone, the race at 9.05 a.m. will air on ESPN. Tune in one hour prior for the Grand Prix Steiermark. Yeah, not the Austrian Grand Prix. Steiermark. Yes, the the Styrian Grand Prix. Mm. Wow. We made it, guys. We reached the end of the first race. It turns out that... of an episode? I know. I was about to say, it turns out that we've gotten so good at filling air <laughs> that when, when, a, when, a, when a good race comes along, we're just, we're, we can't help ourselves. That was rad. Yeah, look, what a race. What a treat. I would have taken any race. I would have taken, right. I would have, I'll say it, okay? I'll say it. I would have taken Circuit Paul Ricard. I would have <gasps> taken anything at this mm. stage. But we got an absolute banger. We got a classic. And, uh, you know, it's it's a bit much to ask for two in a row. I don't want to be greedy here. But, uh, yeah, it would be wonderful uh, if we get another another good one. Another mix. Mix it up. Let's get, a, let's get Albon on that podium. Yeah. Rob, final thoughts? What if Albon punts hamilton off the track we're like no not this time motherfucker and just like just cuts him to the outside sends him into the kitty litter and just drives home oh great and then they don't i don't like him. i don't like it when my dad's fight uh i think 
Any way this goes, I will be fascinated to see what the second consecutive running at the same racetrack is going to be like. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, of course, excited. Uh, but yeah, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shiftf1. Get access to all of our weird bonus episodes. Uh, but uh, that's it for us. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Yeah.